Well, let's get into the Word of God. Let's get into the sermon, uh, and let's see what God has for us. I'm excited about today. Colossians chapter 2 is such a thick and rich book. I'm going to see if I can make it through 10 verses. You know how that goes sometimes. I'll try not to keep us all day long. I know we've got the kids in here, my little girl's in here too, and she can get nutty. So uh, we'll try to keep it, um, you know, uh, short uh, and sweet and simple to the point, but still ask God to really bless us and show us some good truths in His Word. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray one more time. I just want to pray and ask God to bless his word. Lord Jesus, we just ask God that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would grant us full understanding and knowledge uh, into the things uh, to which you have revealed uh, your word. We pray, God, that the truth will be written on our hearts, that we might not sin against you, and that we might be uh, more in line with who you are calling us to be when we leave here than when we came in. We pray it all in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. If you will stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. I'm just going to read uh, one verse. um, I'm sorry, two verses, which I feel like encapsulates everything that Paul is teaching here in verses 1 through 10. And that is uh, verse, actually three verses, in verse Chapter 2, verse 2, 3, and 4. Chapter 2, verses 2, 3, and 4. He's talking about struggling. He says, he struggles that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, In verse 4 he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You may be seated. May God bless the ring and the hearing of his word. In order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The scripture today uh, from verse, thank you Titus, Colossians 2, 1 through 10 is, is written Uh, As you know, we've looked at chapter 1, and Paul is answering some uh, arguments and some philosophical um, leanings and teachings that come from the Gnostics, which are this this group of people who uh, speak of this special knowledge, this elitism uh, that... Uh, Only a certain type of person with a certain ability or giftedness can know the truth and that the body is evil and the soul is good, the spirit is good, and we must remove ourselves from the physical realm and that we must must reach uh, this spiritual enlightenment. And in this kind of necessarily tags along is the idea that Jesus Christ couldn't have come in the flesh because the flesh is evil and the spirit is good. It's this dualism of uh, the flesh is evil and the spirit is good. So that would take them to a place where they couldn't believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God became a man, that this hypostatic union, this kenosis where God, who is eternal, becomes a man in order to be the God-man that would do the work that only Jesus Christ could do. But Paul has laid out very clearly in chapter 1, and I won't go back through all of that, the, the deity of Jesus Christ, who is not only a God, but is the God, the creator of the universe. And he laid that out very clearly, uh, speaking of that everything was created uh, by Jesus. Well, here what he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to move now to this, this more personal discussion dialogue this more personal message that he's saying the truth is is that jesus christ is god he's the beginning of all creation he is where creation started and he also is the beginning of the church and the fact that jesus is god that he is the image of the invisible god should affect us in a certain way and remember paul by all accounts, by most every commentator, and it's seeming, seemingly what the, the letter teaches, that Paul, up to this point, hadn't met this group of believers yet. He's writing to a group of believers that he hasn't met face to face. 
He is writing to a group of believers, remember, that Epaphras planted this church. Epaphras was a, a disciple of Paul who had, went to, who, who had received probably his salvation through Paul's preaching in Ephesus uh, or some other city. And he had taken that message back to Colossae and he had planted a church and other people had become believers. But Paul himself hadn't met these people. He hadn't been able to pour into them personally. But that doesn't mean that Paul wasn't connected to them. And it doesn't mean that Paul didn't care about them and love them. What we're going to talk about today is Paul's struggle for those people who he had never met face to face. And what is his struggle? What is his desire? What is Paul longing to do for the Colossians as he re writes this letter and as he prays and as he struggles for them? What's his desire for them? And I think that his desire for them can be summed up in these three words that he desires, he struggles, he prays that they would be rooted in Christ. That they would be rooted in Christ, that they would be firm, that they would be steadfast, that they would be strong, that they would be, uh, that, that they would be immovable, okay? And I would ask you today, and that's my desire for you, that's my desire for me. I want to be rooted and founded in Christ Jesus. I want to be uh, in a place to where I'm solid in my understanding and my awareness of who God is and who he is calling me to be and that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be moved from that place that I would be steadfast, that no matter what comes, that I would be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy or whoever might come against me. Well, let's look at the text and, and let's start to move through uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Colossians 2, 1 through 5. We're going to start there and then we'll look at 6 through 10. Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that uh, Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I say this in order here's the reason I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. So let's look for a second here at verses 1 through 5, and let's just unpack it and break it down. I'm going to come back to the scripture in just a second, and we're going to make a few connections but Amber's going to put up on the screens to the side here, uh, and it'll look a little bit different. That's okay. But I want to look at a few things today, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the points down, take a screenshot of it. There, it'll stay up there if you want. Take a look at this when you get home. Open up the scriptures and see what God would show you. But I want to look at Paul's fight for gospel firmness. So the question we need to ask is, what's Paul's reason for writing the book uh, of the letter to the Colossian church. What's, what's he trying to do? What's he looking to do? And he's looking to convey a message about what he's already doing. And what he's already doing is he's struggling. He is fighting. This word struggle in the original language is this conflict. It's, it's a warfare. This Something's going on. Now remember, he had never met these people. And he's not talking about fighting with the people that's fighting with them or trying to deceive them. Well, he is, but not flesh and blood. His battle is a spiritual battle. His battle is one that is not taking place face to face, but one that's taking place probably from Rome where he's in prison and he's doing warfare on behalf of the Colossians from uh, Rome, from a prison cell somewhere. What's the struggle? He's struggling. He's fighting. He's in conflict, in prayer, in seeking after the Lord, in beseeching the Lord, in calling out, crying out to the Lord. And this is good modern warfare. This is the way that things get done. You see, we think that the best warfare is with fleshly tools, with tools of the world, with weapons of the world, but not with Paul. Paul's saying, I'm struggling, struggling intensely. And what's he struggling to do? He wants to encourage their hearts. 
His struggle was for their full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery while being knit together. Now, we're going to go back to the Scripture and look at some of these. But look at what, the, what he says here. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at uh, Laodicea. Now, uh, the church at Laodicea was another church, but apparently dealing with a lot of the same issues that the church at Colossae was dealing with. And for all who have not seen me face to face, he's saying, I am struggling for you guys who are in the Colossian church, who I haven't seen face to face, along with another church in Laodicea. I'm, I'm struggling, I'm fighting, I am pursuing the Lord for what? He says that their hearts may be encouraged. So he's looking to encourage their hearts. I know some of you are down today. I know that some of you are depressed today. I know that some of uh, our viewers online hadn't, maybe hadn't been able to be, to be at church in, in months. And you're discouraged. You're beat down. You're, you're wondering if, if uh, you're ever going to be able to get back. Or, or you're, maybe you're, in, you're, you're full of fear. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're concerned. Maybe you're eat up with it. And you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You're discouraged. And you're wondering, is the enemy winning? Will the enemy win? But Paul here is saying, like I'm saying, as I read Colossians and as I read through Colossians, I'm praying for you. Paul's praying that you would not be discouraged, but that you would be be encouraged now how does that encouragement find its fulfillment i think he answers he says he's struggling here for every one of those colossians and laodiceans who he couldn't meet face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love now it's funny how this is arranged here he said he's saying i'm struggling praying seeking god i am doing warfare where i am for you that your hearts might be encouraged being knit together in love Remember, he had already praised God about their faith and about their unity. And he's saying that I am looking to encourage you with the knowledge that you are knit together, that you are unified, that you are together. He's saying being knit together in love, that this real true relationship that you have with each other and with Jesus Christ would be the foundation of what I'm praying. He says, I am praying that you would be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ Jesus. Christ is the mystery. Now, I'm going to put these up. She's going to leave them up there, and then we're going to go back and look at the Scripture. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you can see how he's building this, 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 this message, this idea that builds one on top of the other. So he's praying that their hearts would be encouraged because they're uh, having already been knit together in love, being unified. His struggle was for their full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, being knit together in love, that Christ is that mystery. And in Christ, who is the mystery unfolded before their very eyes, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. His desire was for their growth in the knowledge of Christ in order that no one may delude them. Now, I know that I'm putting all of these up first. I'm trying something different because what I want to do is I'm going to put these up here. I'm going to leave them there. And then I want to go back through the scripture. And I want you to see, I hope, I pray, I want you to see today that the exact same thing that Paul was seeking to convey to the Colossians is being conveyed to you today. Not just by me, but by Paul, by God, through Paul, that the same struggle that Paul and the Colossians were, uh, were fighting and were, were uh, contending with is the same struggle that we are contending with today. And the same exact Holy Spirit that would empower them to overcome is the same exact Holy Spirit that will provide the power and the understanding and the knowledge for us to overcome as well. Amen? Okay. So, with this up here, let's go back now <clears throat> to, the, to the Scripture. Okay. So let's break it down and just walk through verse by verse, uh, line by line. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle. He was not supposed to do that. Get behind me, Satan. Okay. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me, 
face to face. The word I want to focus in on right here is struggle. I want to ask you, okay, if it was good enough for Paul, is it good enough for us? Okay, so Paul was struggling. He, this word here is this, is this deep, uh, uh, painful at times, uh, meaningful struggle, conflict. It's, it's, it, it, is, it is an absolute, uh, if, this is the way I'll say it, Paul would have needed to work out in order to enter into this struggle. Paul would need to be in training in order to enter into this struggle. He would need practice because he is going up against an enemy, an opponent who is a worthy opponent. Now, as Paul is struggling in conflict for the church at Colossae, for the Laodiceans, for uh, those he had not met face to face, if he's doing warfare like this, how much more should we be doing warfares for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for our kids? LRA, LRA, chill out, okay? Shh, be quiet. You have to get on your knees. You have to go before the Father of lights and, and pray and struggle and enter into battle for those that are around you, for those that you know that God has entrusted to your care. Are we struggling for our families? Paul here is struggling for those who he hadn't even seen face to face, and we won't struggle in prayer for our brothers and sisters and for our family. He says he's struggling that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. I want to spend just a little bit of time here. The, he says that he's struggling and, and, and pursuing after God, and he's fighting that their hearts may be encouraged. I, I don't want to spend too much time there. With the backdrop of being knit together in love. So love is the beginning. Remember uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love without love you have nothing. Without love, you have nothing. We've, we establish that. We understand that. Apart from love, all of your shouting, all of your preaching, all of your gift buying, everything that you do is nothing. Paul in Corinthians says, I could speak with the, th uh, with, with the tongues of 10,000 angels, and if I have not love, what do I have? It's a clanging gong, a noisy symbol. It's nothing. It's nothing whatsoever. Love is the beginning. Love is the start. And we understand that God is love. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son for us, Jesus Christ. We don't even know what love is. The beginning of love is the fact that God sent his own son in the world to be our sin and to buy us back. That is love. Not that we loved God. There are none righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek God but that God sought after us and sent his son for us. That, that is love. You see, God has lavished his love on earth while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. This is the beginning. So being knit together in love, Paul saying, I'm struggling for your, in your hearts to be encouraged, knowing that you are true believers, knowing that you are bought with the blood of Christ, knowing that you are knit together in love, that you are at one with the Holy Spirit, that you are one in Christ. He said, this being the case. So he's praying for the true church. This being the case, then I am fighting, I am struggling in this. He says, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Now, I just want to just take just a moment here. Many of you think that studying scripture, listening to sermons, being taught of God, it's not all that important. You think that... Uh, that the, 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 the important things is how you feel. You, many of us, many Christians, especially in America, but in our world, are convinced that the most important things are the feel-goods and the holy goosebumps. We're convinced that if it, doesn't feel, if it doesn't feel good, if I don't like it, if it doesn't tickle my ears... 
If it doesn't make me smile and make me laugh and make me giddy, then it's no good. And we fail to realize that all of that is just fodder. All of that is silliness. Now, I don't want to throw the baby completely out with the bathwater. I love to, to feel God move. I, I love to see the Lord do amazing things, and I love to feel his presence. I love to be, to be emotionally on an emotional high. But if you let the feelings be your guide, then you will almost assuredly sail off course. You need to be uh, in, in, in full awareness and understanding of who God is so that when the feelings come, you can gauge the feelings and you can test the feelings according to the word of God. Because I'll tell you right now, the Lord in your life and God in your life will not always be that easy to stomach. He won't always lead you to the place where it's all peaches and creamy. Sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that God tempts you, but I will say that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Why? Because oftentimes the trials, testings, and persecutions that come into our life are the very things that God desires to use to shape us and mold us and cause us to be who he desires for us to be. It won't always be easy. It won't always be nice. It won't always be fluffy. But it will always be exactly what God desires for it to be. For nothing can happen outside of the hand of God. And we need to trust. Now, I want to show you this here because I just thought it was amazing. One commentator I was reading, point, reading pointed this out. He said, there is, no, <clears throat> there is no greater way to say this in the Greek language. Remember, there's no, these commas, even these, you know, verses are added later. This, in, when written in Greek, is just letters, just words, okay? This construction in the Greek is, is the most extensive and powerful way for Paul to explain and to exclaim the importance of knowing God and how it is that we do know God. He says here, he says that he is struggling that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. First thing I want to point out is this word knowledge right here. This word, not, so knowledge in the, in the Greek is a couple of different words. Gnosko is to know, or I, I am knowing, okay? Uh, gnosin, gnosin is this word in Greek. It just means knowledge, okay? It can mean a general knowledge. It can mean a saving knowledge. It can, be, it can mean a knowledge that, uh, that you have learned, but, you know, it's, it's just kind of generally known. We're not really sure of it. Well, there's another word that's used here for this type of knowledge, and it's, it, this word is epigenosin. And what this word is always used for is a concrete knowledge that cannot be denied. It's this knowledge that is sure. You would die for it. It's a knowledge that someone told you there is a tidal wave coming. You looked and you saw it. And the knowledge that you have about this tidal wave is undeniable. You have knowledge. And you know what happens when you receive good, verifiable knowledge that a tidal wave is coming. And you can see, what do you do? Run. You do something. That's the point. It affects who you are. It affects what you do. It affects your actions. This is, the, this is the type of knowledge that when this knowledge is present, knowledge and mental ascent affects physical responses. Does that make sense? It's not theoretical knowledge. It's not possible knowledge. It's not probable knowledge. It's knowledge that is so sure that it affects physical response. You do. It causes you to do something, right? Well, not only had, did he use this word that is distinct from just regular knowledge, but he uses this word with all from to reach all the riches of full assurance with all of these different adjectives and all of these different words to just keep on piling on the type of knowledge that he's talking about. Listen to what he says. And now this is what Paul is praying and struggling for that the Colossians would enter into. He says... 
And I'm asking you this. The reason I'm laying this out here is not just so you can have mental assent to what the Bible actually teaches, but that you can see that this is what Paul was struggling for the Colossian believers to have, the same as I am struggling for you, and the same that God desires for you to have, this type of concrete knowledge that would cause a physical reaction in your bodies that would make you get busy, it would make you move, it would make you respond. Well, this type of knowledge that's concrete and understanding is assured, okay? One commentator said of this word assurance, he said, it's, it's acknowledging the fact that it actually exists. You're sure of it. It, it. it is another way of saying concrete. So it's concrete knowledge that's concreted. And not just that you're sure of it, not just that you have assurance, but that assurance is full. It's filled up full assurance. You see how he's just building this, this, this way of speaking, this language here that he's using. He's trying to say that there is nothing more sure than what's going on right here. Well, not only is it the concrete knowledge, epigenosco, but it's, or epigenosin, but it's also knowledge, this concrete knowledge that you're concretely assured of. And not only are you assured of it, but you're full of this assurance. Well, not only that, but you're are, are, are the riches of full assurance. You see how he just keeps piling it on that these are just riches of full assurance. It's not just concrete knowledge, but it's concrete knowledge that you're sure of. And you're not just sure of it, but you're full of that assurance. Well, you're not just full of assurance, but you're richly impressed and built up and you're more wealthy now because of the full assurance of the concrete knowledge that you have. Well, not only that, that he's praying that this wouldn't be, he's praying that this knowledge wouldn't be um, hypothetical, but that you would actually reach it. See, that's good in theory, isn't it? Everything that I just said, like everybody in the room sitting here, and I hope you're going, man, that's some concrete knowledge. That would, that would be nice. That, that would be cool, you know, but man, you know, Maybe for Jonathan Edwards or maybe for Calvin, maybe for Spurgeon. Maybe even for some modern, you know, modern day, maybe for Piper. Maybe for Washer. You know, Washer's powerful, man. You know, he, he's got some, man, whoo, he, he convicts me. Maybe for, uh, maybe for MacArthur, you know. Maybe for Matt Chandler. Maybe for some of these guys. You know, they spend lots of time in the work. Maybe for them, they could be that short and they could be powerful, right? They could be powerful. But, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just a... I'm just me. No, Paul is praying here. Paul is praying here for all the believers in Laodicea, for all the believers in Colossae, for all these believers who he hasn't met face to face. Do you think that there wasn't a, a, a couple carpenters in that group? Do you think that there wasn't a couple of, uh, of ditch diggers in that group? You, you think there wasn't a couple of people who emptied the Roman latrines in that group? Do you think that there wasn't some, 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 some just lay people? This is just people. This is you. This is you that Paul here is praying that to just an average nominal believers that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery that you too can reach that. And this is what I'm trying to say is that this word here to reach to reach is a progressive, moving, continual word that you are to continually be reaching out for this full assurance, for this, for this unwavering, uh, concrete understanding of God's mystery, which is what? Christ. It's Christ. You see, he wanted to encourage their hearts. His struggle was for their full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery while being knit together. And we understand here that Christ is the mystery. You see, Christ doesn't unveil the mystery. Christ doesn't just show us what the mystery was pointing to. Christ doesn't just teach us. He's not just a good teacher. Christ himself is the mystery. As I was reading this, and <clears throat> especially this part right here where it says the riches of full assurance. And then when I get to this place where this, this Christ right here points back to the knowledge and understanding. This is what he says that 
Christ is. So he's praying, I'm, ask, I'm asking God, struggling, I'm fighting in this spiritual, supernatural world, that you would reach the, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he's saying that the place I want you to get is a full assurance, is a, to reach all the riches of full assurance of Christ. You see it? It's not just a study. It's not just a pursuit of factual uh, um, truths that are in this library of, of God's men who wrote God's word. But it is that you would study and be filled up full of God's word and that it would reveal Christ to you. And what, and what we'll see is in you, that Christ would be revealed in you. As he's already said in chapter 1, who is the hope of glory. Well, that led me to a couple of other verses here. Think, of, think about this for a second. Lord Jesus, please just help me to convey what you show me. When we start to talk about God's mystery, what does it mean in God's mystery? What is, what, is God's, what is God's mystery? What does that mean? Well, the mystery that Paul speaks of here is this veiled understanding of God's truths in the Old Testament. Now, we know this, at least as part of what he's talking about. We know this because several other places in Scripture, the other biblical authors tell us that the things that were in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the people of God of old, the, all the prophets, uh, all the patriarchs, all of these who God had worked in their lives and worked through them. We're talking Adam, Noah, Moses, David, Abraham, Joshua, all of these people. Uh, had had been interacting with God and had been uh, receiving words from God and, and, and they were writing those words down. Ezekiel and the way that God, Ezekiel interacted with God, how, how crazy that guy was, right? He's, 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 he's like uh, doing plays and skits in the middle of the streets to convey God's word. How about Hosea, who God commanded to marry a prostitute so that he could be a demonstration of God's marriage to his to his. Uh, his I don't know, what do I say? Uh, his prostituting people. <laughs> Think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who had such a big ministry, but hardly no one would, would be uh, transformed by Jeremiah. And he would, oh my goodness, he was so humbled by that. How about Elijah, who God used in such magnificent ways, and, God, and Elijah sit down under a broom tree and said, God, kill me now, I'm the only one. All of these different men. And, and what was it all about? What was it all about? Well, the Pharisees thought that they had it figured out, right? I need to move on a little bit, so I'll speed it up. The Pharisees thought that they had it figured out. They thought that they had got the Old Testament figured out. They thought that they had the Word of God figured out because they thought it was all about the laws and keeping the laws and being obedient to the laws. But what they failed to understand, Jesus tells them in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, you read the Scriptures diligently thinking that in them you, you have life. Jesus is saying, you're studying these Scriptures. You're, you're digging through these Scriptures, and you think that, that in them you're going to have life, that you can follow the law, or you can do all of these types of things. You can develop human traditions, and you can do all these things and you can look so good on the outside but, but really inside you're full of dead men's bones he says you're searching these scriptures diligently and you're, you're studying them you're memorizing them but you fail to realize that these teach of me these teach of me in uh first peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 uh, look there with me for a second the bible says in in first peter chapter 1 it says this <clears throat> concerning this salvation listen to this now to, to speaking of god's mystery because every all the all the new testament authors are very aware that the old testament writings of the prophets and and the great men of god were shrouded in mystery it, it, that, you read them and you thought oh yeah that's that's but and, and but god comes in and says jesus comes in and says remember when he walked with them along the road to emmaus and it says, starting in Moses and, and, and the rest of the writers, he says, he opened up their eyes to see the truth of how all of them pointed to him. Oh, and Jesus is the hidden treasure. Oh, we got to get to that in just a second. But listen to this right here. It says that uh, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. 
uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Oh, the mystery of God that was in the Old Testament scriptures, the old covenant that they learned and loved and, and they, they searched these scriptures and they were taught these scriptures. They had, uh, they, had, they had a verbal tradition, an oral tradition where they passed down all these stories. But the, the sad thing is that these oral traditions were shrouded in such mystery that until the coming of Christ they had nothing to anchor them to or to reveal to them what this was really all about and we could get into some theological discussion there about different ways to interpret and what type of hermeneutic and whether it's dispensational and all these types of things but we know one thing is for sure is that the Old Testament scriptures were shrouded in mystery until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ now the way that Paul describes it here is very very telling and it's telling for me and for you and I wanted to show you this now just a couple more things about the riches just to show you that the other New Testament authors also agree with Paul that the understanding and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the personal work of Jesus Christ is greater riches than you could possibly imagine. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 26 with me. Hebrews 11, verse 26. Such good. Now, listen, some people think that Jesus Christ... Now, oh, oh, yeah, good. Okay, well, I don't know. Okay, so Hebrews chapter... Um, third, sorry, my mind just wandered there for a second. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26... I think he's written by Paul as well. But in Colossians, Paul is talking about the God's mystery being revealed in the personal work of Jesus Christ and the full assurance and the concrete knowledge of how God moves and interacts with God's people is now revealed and available in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And apart from Jesus Christ, you can't really understand the Old Testament. I'll say that. You take it to the bank. Uh, write it on stone, chisel it in, whatever you want to do, that apart from the personal work of Jesus Christ and the reality revealed about him in the New Testament, you cannot really understand the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying that you are to completely read the Old Testament through a New Testament lens, but I'm saying that your final, your, your final understanding and interpretation of the Old Testament must come through a New Testament lens or you will not get it right. You can get the historical significance, possibly. You can get some of the historical context. You can get the original meaning to the original authors, but you cannot get the ultimate meaning, what it was pointing to, what it was foreshadowing, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, Hebrews eleven twenty six. Now, I want to point out this because I think it's absolutely significant that these are not just words. I'm not just saying my opinion, but it is fact that the Old Testament saints the old testament uh fathers uh they were looking to christ as well okay so we know from john chapter 8 that abraham longed to see christ's day and was glad so we know that abraham was looking we know that david said jesus said this the author of hebrew says this that david said to my lord sit at my right hand that david called jesus lord before jesus ever existed on the earth before, ever, before the incarnation. Jesus has always existed in eternity past. But listen to what the Bible says about Moses' interaction with Jesus. Now, we understand that Moses was way, was way before the incarnation of Jesus. Before Jesus ever came to the earth, Moses was on the earth, and this is what the Bible says about Moses. Listen to what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months in his uh, by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches greater riches than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward riches and treasures you see anything here riches what word is is uh right here what word is this treasures Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ is the treasure of God. He is the riches. He is fulfillment. Okay, so 
There's plenty more. I, I, I can't get into all of that. So let's look at this. Let's move on a little bit further. This is what I want to point out. Okay, so Paul is saying that he is praying that they would get to this place of full assurance, concrete knowledge of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he's praying that they would see Christ, that they would know Christ, and that they would know him in an immovable way, that you're absolutely convinced that there's nothing else that could be more true than this, and that is that Jesus is the Christ to which all the mysteries of God and all the scriptures of God to which they point. Now, in Christ... Who, who is the full assurance of understanding and knowledge, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, how is, this, how is this shown and how is this taught? How is this, um, how does this come about? So, okay, practically for you and I, okay? How, how do we get to this place of concrete understanding and knowledge? Well, I think that the key is here. Okay, so all of the mysteries of God, all of the mysteries of uh, all the mysteries of God, are not just in Christ, but they are Christ. They point to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all of this, and in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I think that there's a very, um, a very revealing. Uh, passage of scripture that that actually comes from Christ and it's Mark chapter 2 starting in about 4 uh, verse 4 b 4 and 5 this whole uh, parable here that that Christ is sharing says uh, I'm sorry I'm in the wrong place Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 I'll come back to Mark in just a second in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus get, tells this parable, and he elaborates in another gospel, but this one is short, and it gives us the point. Listen to what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covered it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Okay. So we have Paul's teaching here, which is after the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's compare it to the Lord Jesus Christ teaching. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found in a field. And when he found it, he covered it up real quick. And then he went and sold everything that he had. And he came back and he bought that field. What is the implications? Paul says Jesus is that treasure. He is that field. Jesus Christ is that place of longing you say why do you say longing i jumped ahead of myself okay let's go back to the jesus teaching why so the guy he's you know the picture is he's plowing another man's field okay he's plowing along he's got his oxen there and you know the plow hits something and he looks down and the plow has pulled this this treasure up out of the field this this treasure that's worth more than his whole life. We know that from the text. I'm not just making it up. That the treasure's worth more than his whole existence. Everything that he's got doesn't compare to what he's found here. Now, he's so taken by this treasure that I just see the guy. Because he covers it back up. So we know that he's worried that he might not be able to have it. That somebody else might get it. Maybe the owner of the field would see and say, hey, get out of there, get out of there. Because the owner of the field thinks it's just a field. It's got some value, but I don't know, it's not this much. So the guy, I just see him now drop, drop down to his knees, and he's digging a hole with both hands, right? And he's taking the treasure, and he dumps it back in the hole, and he's looking around the whole time, and he's, he's covering that treasure back up. Why? Because he don't want to lose the treasure. It's not even his yet, but he sees the value of it. He sees the value of this treasure, so he throws it back in the hole, and he covers it up, and he stomps on it with his feet, and he gets back to plowing, just acting. When he gets through plowing the field, he knows the treasure's in the field. It's there. Now, he doesn't know exactly what it is, maybe. He doesn't know the full extent of the treasure, but he knows that he knows there's treasure in that field. He knows there's treasure. Now, what is, what is it when you cover something up? What do you call it? It's hidden. There's treasure hidden in the field. And so what does he do? What does the man do? 
The man gets done with his work, puts the mule away, puts the plow away, whatever he was doing. He goes home, and he gathers up his entire life. He gathers up his, all of his belongings. He gathers up his, all deeds that he has to any property that he has, any uh, livestock he has. The, the text says everything. He gathers everything up, and he sells everything. He sells it all. And then he goes, and he buys this field. Why did he buy the field? Why did he buy the field? He wanted the treasure. How valuable to him was the treasure? It was worth more than what? Everything that he had. He sold everything that he had. Now, it does, now the text doesn't say, it doesn't go beyond that. It just says he, sold, he sells all that he has and buys the field. But what do we know happened after he bought that field and it was his? What happened? Huh? He, went, he ran back to that as soon as that paper was signed. I bet you he's like, ha, ha! It's mine now. You didn't know, but I knew. It had been revealed to him. He ran back to that field. I, now this is, you know, I'm just reading in a little bit here, okay? Conjecture, okay, I, I, I admit it. I see him running back to that field. Going straight back to the place where he knew that he had buried that treasure. Just digging like a maniac to get that thing up. To see what he had. Now, what's, what's the implications here? Paul's, Paul takes, I don't know if he took that particular parable, but he takes that idea and he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But he had just said that Christ is the the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge. Christ is this understanding. He is this knowledge. But in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the field in which the treasure is hidden. Christ is the treasure which is hidden in the field. Christ is all and he is in all. And Christ is worthy of all of our energy, all of our effort. He is worthy for us to sell all that we have and buy him, to get him, to trade everything, to trade our whole lives to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. So in this same idea, and I'm just going so slow, but whatever. In this same idea, I, I want to point out one other thing. I need to get to the next thing. Well, no, let's do this one more. What do we know about hidden treasure? Well, let me ask you. Do you think through this prayer that Paul is suggesting that the riches of Christ, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ, that they would remain hidden? No. What does he want us to do? He wants us to reach them. So why would he say that the thing that he wants us to reach is hidden in Christ? What is he telling you to do? Yes, but not just find Christ, but to do what? <clears throat> you see, these treasures, and I, I read one comment, and, I, and I, put, I wrote this down, this one commentary. I thought he said it really well. He says, still as the mind is unfathomable, there will, through eternity, be always fresh treasure in Christ to be drawn forth from their hidden state. That we go to Christ and we remain in Christ and we dig into Christ. And as we dig treasure upon treasure, upon nugget, upon nugget, upon jewel, upon diamond, the more we get into Christ and the more we pursue after Christ, the more treasure that is revealed and the richer we get, a full assurance of all the riches of faith, knowledge, and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. I plead with you like Paul pleaded with the Colossians. Strive to know Christ. 
Strive after him. Dig into Christ. Dig into the word of God. Dig into the things of God that you might be rich beyond measure. Rich in faith. Does that make anybody think of a story? Think of a parable? These are the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it make anybody think of one? Huh? Tell me, Robert. Huh? Yes, yes, yes. All of that is good. There's one that I'm thinking of, a parable of Christ, where someone had to dig, literally, to get to Jesus. Yes! Listen to this scripture. Mark chapter 2. I'm reading in the uh, New American Standard because it says it the way that uh, I think it is literally said. But listen to what it said. Now, you remember the story. The, these, this paralytics on this bed, and Jesus is in this house, right? And they had these... Uh, these, these clay huts in, in that time, and they were uh, archaeological digs have shown this. I thought it was really cool when I found this out. You probably know it already. But in that time, there was a lot of adobe houses, and they would be built of straw and clay and dirt mixed with water. And the roofs would be like this, almost like cement-type deal, this, this concrete almost. And uh, Jesus was in one of these houses, and he was healing people, and he was interacting with the population. And, and this guy, this paralytic, was on a mat. He was paralyzed. He had been that way for a long time. And his four friends heard that Jesus was in the area, and they had faith. They knew. They understood that Jesus was the Christ and that he was providing this healing. So they took the man to the place, but it was so crowded you couldn't get in the door. And this is what the text says. They were unable to get to him because of the crowd. They uh, removed the roof above him, and after digging and opening, they let the pallet down that the man was laying on. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, this understanding that they had of Jesus Christ and the faith that they have and the assurance that they had that Christ was who he said he was caused them to take action. And what was the action that they took? Because they understood who Christ was. What did they do? They dug a hole in the roof. When you come to that place where Christ grants you faith and you're knitted together with the other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is moving in your midst and he's showing you and revealing you, it causes you to dig into the word of God so that you can get to Christ. You, if you're not digging, then I would wonder if you have faith, if you know Christ, if, you've been, if your eyes have been opened to the things of God, if you're spiritually aware at all. For Christ is greater riches than all the world. So we, say, we, we have all of this. I, we'll get through five today, okay? We'll have to do six through ten next week. That's, that'll be fine. He says, I say this. Okay, so here's the in order of that. It's probably a good place to end anyway. So the text says that he's struggling, he's fighting, he's, he's doing this warfare on a supernatural level in order that they would be encouraged as they're knit together, as they're part of the family, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Christ is the mystery of God, and we must get into him we must dig into him we must pursue after him to dig out these hidden treasures you will never progress beyond this point right here until you start digging into christ i guarantee you that i can't say it any more clearly you see the text is written to a certain group of people in a certain time to combat a certain problem idea and that is gnosticism asceticism these philosophers are trying to convince them that jesus wasn't the christ that jesus wasn't actually god in the flesh but that he was just another being and that's what we can use that too but the supernatural point of this behind this is that paul was doing a supernatural battle that his people would be supernaturally empowered to be the people of god and that they would be empowered in such a way that this would be the result so all of that what i just told you about pursuing after christ being filled up full of the knowledge of christ being known in christ 
is to lead to this. I say this in order that. Anytime we see an in order that, we need to see why it's there, what it's pointing to. This is what the, the, the desired result is going to be. So Paul's doing all of this so that this would happen, so that this would be a reality. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. What does it mean to delude? Somebody help me out. Water down. Paul saying that saying this it necessarily must be true to be filled up full, to be assured, to be immovable, so that you wouldn't be deluded. And we'll go on, it'll say, by plausible arguments. But let's go back to the deluded. So if you water something down, if you delude something, what are some things that are true about that thing now that's deluded? Somebody just, a few things. Hold on, what? Deceived? What? Not as strong. It's not as potent. What? What? Less powerful. Yes. It's not as flavorful. Okay, so if it's a medicine, it's not as effective. If it's a, if it, yes, yeah, weak, it's weak, you know, whatever it might be, it doesn't have the same effect. If you water down alcohol and you drink it, you won't get as drunk, right? If you water down medicine, you won't get as well, right? If you water down Gatorade, it doesn't taste too good, right? If you don't get the mixture right. So when you delude something, you may, there's a lot of realities that come. So what do you think about a believer that gets deluded? Can you, can, do you think we could say of a, something that's deluded that it's compromised? Not as effective. It's, it's mixed, right? It's, it's really, it's compromised. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you see, you need to be filled full of the concrete assurance of Christ Jesus so that you can't become compromised. So that you can't, so that you don't become weak. So that you don't become watered down. So that you don't become ineffective. So that you don't become deceived. So that you don't become weak. You must not be deluded. Now, how does being... This is... Boy, you just about gave me a heart attack when you said that. Okay, so... Okay, okay. Delude. Well, I just made a whole new sermon, didn't I? dilute and delude okay i stand corrected praise the lord okay this is dilute same principle i just don't get to use my illustration doggone it okay no that's okay i would rather do it this way i appreciate the correction okay i say this in order that no one may delude you or fool you i guess okay right so delude that's still deceived dang i wish i could use my all right so anyway, okay, so if you delude someone, you deceive someone, you actually take and you, you put into them things that shouldn't be there that they would receive as truth that's not truth. Is that true? Which is deluding. <laughs> okay, so the, the, the principle would still cross over, but I don't get to use it as much. I did just completely miss that. Okay, so that's on me. I will still show you this dilute, diluting, though. Because I'm telling you, it's still the same thing. Did you know why I thought about it that way? Now I'm gonna just I'm gonna show you my reasoning here. How the scripture, this was what I was going to say, and I think it will still work, but it won't be as good. How do you? So let's go back to diluting to water down. Okay, so, huh? Deluding. Okay, whatever. Isn't there a, a D-I-L? Okay, well, let's get off of that for a second. Okay. <laughs> to delude, to dilute. Okay, so one is watered down, one is deceived. I think they're probably derived from the same thing. E either way, how do you keep a glass of, say, Gatorade from being diluted, watered down, that word? How do you keep it from being diluted? How, what would be a way that you could do it, huh? Don't put anything in it. Put a cap on it. What if there was no room to put anything else in it? That's, you see where I'm going? That's what made me think of the diluting. Is that Paul here, and it still works this way too, so it doesn't really matter. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you or fool you or lead you astray to compromise you with plausible arguments. And here was my point, is that if a cup is what filled up half full, then it's got plenty of room for other things to go in. We can still say it this way. It'll still work. But I am glad that you corrected me. Plausible arguments. He's going to say a lot of other things here in just a minute too. If it's half full, if it's three quarters of the way full, then there's plenty of room for other things to go in and dilute. In the case of the believer, to dilute, to compromise, to fill them full of false information. But if a cup is filled up to the brim, filled up full of the thing that's in it, it doesn't have any room for anything. Now, you might say, well, you can still pour some stuff in. But with that epigenosin, this has got a concrete cap on it. And there's nothing else that will fit because you're so sure of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that you cannot be swayed, you cannot be fooled, you cannot be taken. Okay, so he says, I want you to be so filled up full that there would be no room for you, for you to accept these plausible arguments and be deluded or fooled or diluted, watered down, so that you won't get compromised, so that you cannot get swayed. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness. And this is where I'll end if somebody wants to come up. We're going to go ahead and end it here. I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So here's the idea. And sorry if that mistake distracted you. Here's the idea. Is that we would be so rooted and so filled full, so persuaded, so overwhelmingly locked in to the person and work of Jesus Christ, so consumed with the understanding and the reality that is Christ, that all of our energy and effort would be spent digging into Christ, pursuing after Christ, continually being uh, blessed and enriched with the jewels that pop out of Christ continually as we plow through that field. Do you see all these things starting to come together? Jesus says, no man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God, that we pursue after Jesus. Jesus. We push after Jesus and we're so filled up full, so firm in our faith, so filled up, so sure, so concrete that we don't have any room for these plausible arguments that sound good on the outside, but that are uh, deceitful. They're empty, vain philosophy. We don't have any room for this. We can't be deluded or deluded. We can't be knocked off. We can't be watered down. We can't be weakened. We can't be taken captive, which is what 6 through 10 is going to take and I wish I'd have been able to get to that today but I didn't but it's going to say that you would not be taken captive and next week what we'll talk about is, is that not only are you not to be taken captive but you are to take every thought captive you see not only do we have a are we supposed to have a good defense but we're to have a good offense you see his desire for them to not be deluded or deluded to not be compromised to not be knocked off their game and this is what i would ask for you today ask from you today how do you pursue after god how do you study how do you pray how do you worship how do you meditate my family and i we sat around last night and we talked about uh, one word that would that we would be about in 2021 and they have some great words, and I'm praying that we can really focus on those things. My word was meditate. In 2021, I want to do a better job of meditating on the things of Christ. 
I want to be so consumed with the things of Christ. I want to understand God better than I ever have. And not just in an intellectual way, but in a real way, in a meaningful way, in a way that others would see me and see the glory of God radiating off of me because, because I'm just in love with the Savior. Let's all stand to our feet. Today, as you think about your own life, how do you pursue after Christ? You see, the reality is that God, who existed from eternity past, came in the form of a servant. It's foolishness to the world, but in reality, it's, it's the wisdom of God. That Jesus Christ, who was God, became a man and lived the life we couldn't live. He went to the cross and paid the price we couldn't pay. That's utter foolishness to the world who's lost and dying. But for those who have been given spiritual eyes to see, you can see it. And God has written His truth on your heart. How do you pursue after God? How do you chase after God? How do you dig? Is Jesus Christ even a priority? Or have you been deluded? Have you been deceived that these things of this world are more important than the things of God? Have you been weakened? Have you been watered down? Have you compromised who you are in Christ Jesus because you're so in love with the world? I've been having this conversation with my boys. I've been having this conversation with myself. What does our life look like? What does it reflect? Do we love the things of the world more than the things of God? Do we give ear to everything that everybody's trying to convince us of? And have we, have we started to doubt God? Have we started to fall out of love with God? Think about these things. Repent where repentance is needed. Seek where seeking is needed. And never, ever, ever give up digging into the things of God. Pursuing after Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do what God is leading you to do.